All right. Welcome to Discussions of Truth, formerly the Florida Sun and Spray Show. Broadcast right here in Wynwood, Miami, Florida. You are tuned in to Wynwood Radio. I am your weekly host at the 5 o'clock Eastern hour. That's PM. Ian Hamilton Trottier. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on, well, you can find me on Facebook, but I don't use Facebook often. Instagram, Twitter and Instagram, Ian Trottier, I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R, is the handle on both of those applications. And please patron the website, iantrottier.com. That's I-A-N, again, T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. Today, an incredible show on vaccines. So we're talking about discussions of truth. You ever been lied to in your life? Has anyone ever lied to you? Have you ever told a lie? Of course. You get lied to frequently. Now, whether you tell lies, that's up to you or not. But miscommunication also happens. Misinformation gets passed along. Deliberate misinformation, that's called a lie. So my goal is to seek out truth. And why do I care about vaccines? Is there truth in vaccines? Are there lies in vaccines? There are both. We'll be joined in about 12 minutes by former guest of the program, author and parent of the book, The Vaccine Court, Wayne Road as he reveals more truths, and not only truths, but dark truths of America's vaccine injury compensation program. He will be joined by New York University law professor Mary Holland. Mary's the director of the Graduate Legal Skills Program at NYU. Having been educated at Harvard and Columbia, Mary has been very outspoken in regards to the dangers of ingredients contained in vaccines and the immunization thereof. She has worked in international, both public and private law, Prior to joining joining the NYU staff, Holland served a career that encompassed major U.S.-based and both Moscow-based law firms. Additionally, Mary has advocated strongly for human rights. There are inalienable, inalienable rights that each of us have as human beings. A hot discussion and topic currently in the United States and in the world is that of your right to be vaccinated. Should it be your right? How do you feel? If the government, let's say, your government mandated that you be injected 
with a certain pharmaceutical product? Do you feel that would be an invasion of one of your inalienable rights? That's a good question to consider because that is a fight on many platforms around many of these states. Well, every single one of the states in the United States and many countries, provinces, as some folks are saying that it is not your right and that it is the right of another human being to control that. So we'll see what Mary has to say in regards. Among Mary's publications are Crack Down on Those Who Don't Vaccinate, a response to Art Kaplan. And we'll ask her what that is, I'm sure, during the course of the 40-minute discussion. Harvard Law School Bill of Health blog, June 2013, and Compulsory Vaccination, the Constitution, and the Hepatitis B Mandate. For infants and young children. Now, it just so happens that I had a conversation with a woman today. And they were faced in the mid-80s with vaccinating their newborn, newest child. This woman has multiple children. With the hepatitis B vaccination. This is back in the 80s. And giving her on uh, her uh, 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 giving her trust in the pediatrician that she was that she had hired to care for her infant she asked the doctor should I or shouldn't I vaccinate with this hepatitis B shot and To the counsel of the doctor, the doctor said, well, I don't see the child getting into athletics. Hard to know at that age, but that was the response that this woman gave me. So I I, I advise that you not vaccinate your child with this hepatitis shot. So they weren't vaccinated. It's very possible that had that child been vaccinated, the child would be a very different person today. So, Mary Holland and Wayne Road will both join us. By the way, Mary has another publication to her credit, and that is called The Vaccine Epidemic, that she co-authored with Luis Kuo Habakis. Excuse me, I'm not familiar with that person. That is a book that she has uh, that she co-authored, Vaccine Epidemic, Corporation Greed, Biased Science. They're all found in that book. Your health, your children's health, your human rights. Why? Why do I even bother with this stuff? And I have to really ask myself: If I go back two years ago, I was just. Just a normal person. I still am a normal person, but I, I was just carrying along with my days. 
doing my nine to five, if you will, and uh, and then boom, something changed. Something changed my entire outlook on how this world is func- functions and how I am in it. And, and as I continue to keep my eyes peeled, it is appalling to me at how many of these rights are t- being taken away and being infringed upon. And I urge you, people ask me, you know, what's your, what's your goal? What's your, what's your motiv- motivation behind doing your show, Ian? It's been a year and a half. Well, you know, why do you do this? Why do you even care talking about some of this stuff? Because a crop duster buzzed over my head, spraying me and the other inhabitants of my community pregnant woman, elderly folks, with a known neurotoxin. So imagine right now a needle being inserted into your arm against your will, injecting you with ingredients that are somewhat unproven on many levels. Well, you can, you can parallel that to my experience five weekends in a row when I heard a crop duster buzz directly over my head at 5 a.m. in the morning, spraying my community with a known neurotoxin. That, folks, my friends, that is called an invasion of your airspace. A complete and total invasion of your airspace. So, I decided to stand up. And while I continue to draw breaths, I'm trying to make a difference for you and your family so that you, possibly, can start looking into these things and avoid I, or A, being injected with a vaccine against your will, or B, injecting your children with a vaccine against their will and your will, and or C, having your airspace invaded. But Ian, did you get sick? Oh, I was sick. As a matter of fact, I did get sick. I got flu-like symptoms. And if you research that pesticide that was sprayed over me, that is a known neurotoxin, those in a healthy adult, which I was and which I am, those are the symptoms of a healthy adult. Flu-like symptoms. And I laid in bed for 10 days, two separate times, sicker than I'd ever been. So, yeah, I did get sick. Have I recovered? Yes. But the onslaught of other ailments that might come in the future, that's debatable. Okay, so it's almost like a, a hidden uh, you know, kind of a hidden ailment. Eh, well, whatever. I spend my time doing this to help enlighten and educate you, if, if I most certainly possibly can. Last week, Joel Gilbert joined the program. He's the founder of Highway 61 Entertainment. Check out that episode as he connects dots from Plato's Republic to Sir Thomas More's Utopia to Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. Whoa! Wow. Yeah, interesting. Mr. Gilbert's new documentary, There's No Place Like Utopia, is a fresh, fast-paced, insightful look at the folly that is socialism. So many people in this country are out crying and crying out loud about uh, some of the uh, legislature that Obama was pushing few and paralleling them to socialism. Folks, that's your right as Americans. Whether you like one president or not, like, like Obama or not like him, like Trump, not like him, like Clinton, not like him, like the Bushes, not like him. These people are in power, and if you disagree, stand up and disagree. 
We're very fortunate in this country, and we're able to speak our mind and speak uh, freely. Next week, that is June 6th, I'll be hosting a longtime agent of the CIA, Ray McGovern. Give him a quick Google. He's got an immensely interesting story. The following week, that's mid-June, 13th, Nomi Prince, the author of Collusion, How Central Bankers Rigged the World. She'll be joining the program. That is confirmed. So we've got a great slate lined up for you. I appreciate your time with me and the program and tuning in to Winwood Radio. Support it. Donate it to it. Donate to my program. Get behind us. And I will return, folks, with Wayne Road and Mary Holland. Right back with you.
Okay, welcome back. Sorry about the delay. We're a small independent uh, station here in Wynwood. I am joined with, as promised, uh, Wayne Road, parent and author of the Vaccine Court. And we have also with us today Mary Holland. She is uh, on the staff at the law school at NYU. She's also the author of Vaccine Epidemic. Are the two of you with me? Fan, yes, we are. Uh, fantastic. Wayne, thanks for coming back on the show. Mary, uh, great, to, uh, great to bring you on. Great to have you. Um, for listeners, briefly, can we do quick introductions? Um, listeners know a little bit about you, Wayne, because you've been on prior, um, but we start with you anyway. And then, Mary, would you, after Wayne is done, would you um, introduce yourself? Absolutely. Okay. Um, in... Um my name is Wayne Rohde. I live up in uh, Minnesota, um, parent of uh, 20-year-old twins, one Nick who has been vaccine injured. Uh, he's 20. Um, he has regressive, uh, regressed into severe autism. Um, he's still nonverbal and totally dependent on us. And uh, that began my uh, journey through advocacy regarding uh, dealing with his issues and autism, but also vaccine injury. And then Several years ago, I started writing a book on the um, urging and uh, motivation from, from actually from Mary Holland and Bob Krakow um, and published a book called The Vaccine Court in 2014. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, thanks, Wayne. Uh, Mary, uh, how about would you introduce yourself for us, please? Sure. So I, uh, as you noted, I um, teach at the NYU School of Law. Uh, I am also the parent of a vaccine injured child. Uh, And that got me focused on, you know, what's the law and policy around vaccines. Previously, I had done international, I'd studied international human rights law. So I particularly have looked at this issue from a human rights perspective. And uh, as you noted, I co-edited and uh, wrote a book called Vaccine Epidemic. And I'm very excited that uh, a new book is going to be coming out in September uh, called The HPV Vaccine on Trial, Weighing the Evidence. Very interesting. That's good to hear. Um, why don't you tell us about the HPV uh, vaccine and, and what, uh, not to reveal any uh, much about the book, though, but uh, what's going on with the HPV vaccine that caused you to write the book? Well, I was, I'm, I'm working on that with two co-authors, and we were really looking uh, at this particular vaccine, which has caused more controversy than all of the other ones that are federally recommended. As you may know, this vaccine, the human papillomavirus vaccine, is recommended to children as young as nine and through people as old as 26, but the target age is 12. And um, it's really been recommended or actually mandated around the world now in over 100 countries. Millions of doses have been administered. And unfortunately, um, the vaccination has been followed in many cases by death and severe injury, heart problems, balance problems, neurological problems, reproductive problems. And so it's a very deep look at um, what is this vaccine? How did it come to be? What motivated it? uh, What was the regulatory? 
regulatory process like? What are the reported injuries? And what's been the response of the of governments and of the medical establishment to these reports of injury? Uh, and so I'm hopeful it, it tells the stories of lots of um, individuals, both the scientists and of the uh, parents and of the kids and of physicians and all of the characters in this drama. And because this only started, it only went on the market in 2006, it sort of encapsulated, Ian. It's sort of like a microcosm of the world of vaccines. So, uh, Wayne... I, I, I've had I've had Doctor Tenpenny on the program, Mary. If you're familiar with her, I'm not sure if you you are. And I've had Barbara Lowe Fisher on the program, and I've also had um, I've had a lot of um, there's a, there's a group of Canadian parents that 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 have gotten behind what I'm doing, and they they've got vaccine injured uh, injured kids. Um, Wayne, in your case, and I don't think I asked you this question, and maybe I did the last time you were on. In your case, and even you, Mary. What was it? Because I've heard I've heard stories, and and when Dr. Tenpenny was on the program, she says, you know, I can't, Ian, I can't tell you how many how many times a parent approaches me where the the child has been vaccinated, and they, you know, they stop they stop speaking, they they totally digress, they start looking at the wall. What was there a particular vaccine? Because my 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 ob- objective here is to inform and help, uh, and it's not only kids; it's also adults. I mean, you mentioned a word there, Mary, that was quite alarming, kind of opened my eyes, and it's the, the word is mandatory, a mandatory vaccine. I think that's a very scary word for, for many people, uh, whether you're a parent or whether, you know, even if you are a doctor in a hospital. But Wayne, in your case, with your, with your kids, and you've got two twin boys, is that right? That's correct. Was there a particular, go ahead. Well, yeah, actually there was, and it wasn't until looking backwards that we figured out what it was. It's just that, um, at the age of 13 months, they both received the MMR vaccine. Mm-hmm. And my son, Austin, uh, just a typical reaction of, you know, crying and screaming for about 30 minutes, and then, and then everything was fine with him. But Nicholas, we noticed something different, and that is, is that it became uh, uh, the first night was extremely difficult for us because he was crying and screaming and running high temperatures. And then this continued for a couple of days, and we contacted the doctor's office, and they said, well, give him some Tylenol and, and, and some other things and make sure his temp doesn't draw, uh, go up too high. And we, this continued for two weeks. God. And then from there, we noticed it, wasn't, it was just kind of a, a very slow regression over the next 12 months that we started seeing where, one, he, he lost – his uh, ability to speak and certain other functions. And it was, it wasn't until a couple years later that we figured out that he had a reaction. And when looking at the doctor's notes and everything else, the, uh, our, our current doctor at the time at the age of three reviewed everything. He said he suffered an encephalopathy from the MMR vaccine. By the time we got a diagnosis of severe autism, it was too late for us to do anything within the vaccine court or the MVICP. We are already expired the statute of limitations, but we narrowed it back down to the MMR. Mary, and I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we have you today. Um, and I want to ask you about your child in a moment. But the very base question that I have from an outsider standpoint is that 1986 law 
the national childhood uh, vaccination uh, law uh, that, that was passed. I believe that was uh, under the Reagan administration. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that for, for listeners out there that aren't familiar with what the vaccine court is that Wayne spoke about, it is basically a it is a federally mandated court that says you are not permitted to sue the pharmaceutical company. It's almost like a big brother stepping in front of you, uh, the parent and the pharmaceutical company, and saying, "You've got you, you. We're blocking. We're blocking you. You. You are not able to approach the pharmaceutical company. You've got to go through us." Mary, from a legal standpoint, and I just want to hear how does that make sense? The 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 pharmaceutical company has made the drug, not the federal court. So how? How is it that the parent is unable to go after the pharmaceutical? How how is it that the that the that the that the federal government is stepping in? What do they have to do with the pharmaceutical company? What are what are your thoughts? Yeah, so <clears throat> I personally think the 1986 Act is the root of a lot of the problem here, and that Act was passed by Congress with input from the pharmaceutical industry, from doctors, and from parents of vaccine injured children. Okay, and it set up a compensation program. There are other compensation programs in the U.S. government for military people who were injured in certain contexts, for people with uh, certain black lung issues, with people with certain. There are other compensation programs, but this one was set up in '86 with the idea that uh, doctors didn't want to have to be sued and that pharma said that they were going to leave the marketplace if they didn't get liability protection. And Congress, you know, accepted the logic that these were life-saving products. And at that time, as Wayne has articulated in his book, there were seven vaccines that were covered, polio, MMR, and DPT. That's it. What happened is an after effect, whether or not Congress and the pharma foresaw it, I don't know. But what happened after that law goes into place is that actually then the the federally recommended vaccine schedule ramps up dramatically. And we start seeing, you know, an explosion in cases of autism and other chronic childhood um, diseases. And so it's pretty clear that something went very awry and that we have this sort of cascade of unintended consequences uh, from that law from 1986. But in, 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 in theory, Ian, it doesn't foreclose somebody from suing at all. It says you first have to go sue in this compensation program. And as Wayne says, it's a very short window in which you have to do it. The statute of limitations is three years. In theory, you could then go to another court, any old civil or you know state or federal court, and you could sue. But because of of this statute, it gives such broad protection, there's very few bases on which you can sue. The one really strongest basis today on which you could still sue is that the pharmaceutical company engaged in fraud. And, and I think that's a big question here. Is, were there, was there fraud in some of the, the latest vaccines that have come on the market? So, so if you miss that window, like Wayne missed his window, 
he is therefore unable to go after in a different court and go after the pharmaceutical in a different court. Am I understanding that? Understanding yes, that right? You're correct. You're correct. At this point in time, you are time barred from suing in any other court. Wayne and I agree, and many others, that that is extremely harsh, and there are almost no other comparable laws uh, that have a three-year window in something as important as this with potentially lifelong disability and lifelong costs. But that is the law today. So, Mary, tell us about your child. Walk us through that. What, What happened there? Well, it's somewhat similar to Wayne's story. Uh, you know, um, my child, after getting the MMR, uh, started to regress. Now, I'm not sure it was just the MMR. Remember that following the recommended schedule, he had up until then, during that time period, received, received lots of shots, not only with aluminum, which is still in all the vaccines, but also mercury. He had thimerosal in his shots. So his his you know, system was already primed with a lot of metals that today we recognize are actually compromising the blood-brain barrier. And then when you got the measles, mumps, rubella shot, which is three live viruses, in a short period of time, over three months or so, he lost speech, he lost normal sleep patterns, he became exceptionally anxious, um, he lost other bodily control functions, and he was really, 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 really unhappy and pretty sick, actually. Uh, but fortunately, through biomedical intervention, my son has recovered speech and has substantially recovered. But, you know, I would not wor- I would not wish what he went through on my, you know, my worst enemy. It, it's absolutely inexcusable what happened to him or what happened to Wayne's son or to the millions of other children around the world who are now suffering with autism, which really is a man-made epidemic. It, it really is. Interesting. Why do you say it is a man-made epidemic? Well, I think you look back in history. So there's an excellent book that uh, recently came out by Mark Blaxel and Dan Olmsted called Denial, and it's about this idea that autism has really always been with us. There's, there's just no evidence for that, Ian. There's no evidence for that. What it suggests is, you know, there were individual cases of people who had things that looked a little bit like autism before basically the 1800s. But really, the early cases of described autism were by Dr. Connor, and it's in the 1940s. And that was in response to a particular fungicide. It relates to particular man-made chemicals. Mm-hmm. And it relates to the early use of the DPT vaccine that included mercury. And we now have recent science that shows us in autopsies of people with uh, the brains of people with autism, they have very high levels of accumulated aluminum. So we just didn't see widespread autism today. You know, the official number yeah. is one in, you know, it's under 60s, the official number of the CDC. There's various calculations, but it's a very common childhood disability. Yeah, I've I've got um, a, a kind of a, 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 a colleague that I work with. He's in in North Carolina, and he's he studies diabetes. He says diabetes, especially in youth, is is becoming an epidemic. But but we're we're being faced with so many challenges on on various levels. Um, Wayne, where have you since you began your book to today? What would you consider have been some of your um, your victories? Well. I think there's just um, I think there's a lot more of awareness of a program um, Ian, this is that first off, the Secretary of HHS 
was mandated by this law, 86 law, to conduct public awareness campaigns about compensation of uh, uh, vaccine injuries. And every secretary since 1988, when the program went uh, live, has failed to do so. And, it's, and, in, and this program has also been basically called on the carpet by the uh, GAO reports in the past. But what I've been able to do, hopefully, is be, make other people aware of this federal program, and hopefully uh, more awareness has is, is, is started some people on the, on the path that maybe I should question what my doctor's telling me because I'm in control of my family, not uh, some institution or the state. And hopefully I can share some uh, you know, awareness and, and start this path, uh, start down this path, much like what Mary has done with her excellent book in, in the vaccine epidemic. And then, uh, my goodness, what this is uh, going to be uh, the discussion point on HPV um, vaccine, uh, the vaccination program, um, I believe is going to uh, create uh, a lot of problems down the road and hopefully uh, with people becoming more aware of the, of the vaccine court, but also these vaccines, we can stop the, the destruction of our current generation of youth and our future generations. Mary, in in your opinion, uh, is this a is this a infringement on a human right here? Um, the some of the some of the states, uh, like California, uh, my understanding is uh, is is that there is a mandatory vaccination for a child to go to public school. Is is that is this an infringement on on a basic human right? So California is one of three states in the country, Ian, that only have medical exemptions to vaccination for school children. In California, since two years ago, people can no longer assert a religious or a personal uh, exemption to vaccines for their children. Um, I do consider that the human rights standard when it comes to all preventive medical interventions, including vaccination, is prior free and informed consent. From my perspective, uh, a healthy child being disenfranchised from going to school because of failure to vaccinate according to an arbitrary state mandate is an infringement of fundamental rights. There is still a case pending in California that is essentially making that argument. Under the California state constitution and under California Supreme Court law, the case is called Serrano, a child has an unequivocal right to a public education. And so from my perspective, this arbitrary mandate is infringing on that really important social right to education. And remember, Ian, every state in the country says that if a kid is has an infectious disease, measles or mumps or rubella, they can't go to school. So what we're really talking about is how much should these 
you know, less un- unvaccinated or partially vaccinated children, how much should they be excluded to avoid the possibility that they might be infectious and might infect a child who's already been vaccinated? And remember that just because somebody has been vaccinated doesn't mean that they can't be a carrier. It doesn't mean that the vaccine didn't work in them. So it just doesn't make sense, Ian. And the higher goal has to be education of children. And as, as Wayne and I see it, there's been this cascade of secondary effects from these vaccines. Okay, maybe we don't have regular measles outbreaks, but at what cost? At what cost have we prevented these infectious disease outbreaks? Right. And, and, and Mary, how do you feel about the, uh, the flu vaccine? I mean, right now it's uh, basically voluntary. You walk into a Walgreens and, oh, you know, it would basically, well, you know, uh, we'll give you a free, we'll give you a free Coke if you give, if you get a flu vaccine. So they give it to you for free. Plus we'll give you, how do you feel about that? Well, Ian, it's not, it's not voluntary for many healthcare workers around the country. And so that's been a very important legal issue. To what extent can hospitals and medical centers mandate that all of their personnel, including non-patient Caring personnel, to what extent can they mandate annual, annual flu vaccines? And the cases have gone in both directions on that. But to me, this is a, a really draconian intervention. Every person's body is different. That's the direction of precision medicine. That's the direction of all kinds of care, cancer medicine, everything else. And yet we have this antiquated idea that we can give a one-size-fits-all vaccine regimen, and it's going to be fine for all people. It's ludicrous. I think we're quite aware of individual allergy today, lactose-free milk and gluten-free bread. The notion that we can give these products that contain multiple viruses, bacteria, bacteria, heavy metals, uh, you know, yeast, and everybody's going to react positively. It's just, it's ludicrous to me. Right. And, and it seems like it's all in the name of profit. Some of these ingredients that may damage one child, yet it's not damaging another child, and the percentages break down. I mean, going back to autism, autism is just seems like it's skyrocketing today. Well, where does it stop? I mean, does that does that make any? And it, where, where where does this stop? I guess let me let me redefine the question. Where where have some of your victories been, uh, Mary, in, in in at NYU or in New York? Where where are some of the where are some of the victories that you're making uh, currently? Well, I agree with Wayne that I think as part of a a, a group or a movement, the, the main victory to date is in awareness raising. And I think in that, we've been remarkably successful over the last 20 years. Uh, people, educated people around the world are well aware that there are undisclosed risks of vaccines and that you trust a government recommendation for vaccines at your peril because Mm -hmm. you don't know about all of the money financial arrangements behind the scenes so i think there's been enormous awareness and we're seeing pushback no big surprise right so there's now new mandates in italy new mandates in france not only in california but there were efforts around the country to make uh opt-outs less accessible because more people are opting out more people do recognize there are serious problems here. I'm waiting in for some big victories in court cases. They haven't happened yet. I've been involved in this for 15 years, you know, plus. We have not had court victories. We've had some court losses. But the game is not over by a long shot. And you have to recognize that people like Wayne and I and, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of others, we're not going away from this. This is something that's part of our 
fiber. This is this is something that's incredibly close to our hearts. We're we're just not going to say, oh, I'm not interested in this tomorrow. It, it's not really something you can easily walk away from. When this has happened to your children and you care about this and you see the problem, it's it's really anathema to see this happen to other children. So I started this program about a year and a half ago when a, uh, a crop duster in Miami sprayed a pesticide that was highly controversial uh, versus the Zika virus, which, uh, which uh, I don't know what the results have, have been in that. But, but, the, but the pesticide had been, had been uh, uh, banned by the European Union. So uh, out of a study of Swe- in Sweden, it was a proven neurotoxin and actually proven to cause microcephaly, which is what the, what the CDC was saying the Zika was, 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 was causing uh, microcephaly. I, 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 I hate to make an accusation and say, hey, the pharmaceutical company is, uh, is trying to purposely uh, you know, injure people on on, on various kind of uh, various various uh, platforms and various angles, but uh, but that's what that's what kind of got me going. Now, uh, Wayne, um, you know, you 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 vaccinated your kids. You, you trusted your doctors. The the, the kids, uh, the one child uh, d- developed a, a pretty se- severe form of autism, and he and he's and he's still still dependent on you. What do you have to say to a parent that may be out there listening? Uh, how how do you how can you advise them moving forward with future children that they may have? Well, I think. First off is, is that the parents have to recognize that they should be the ultimate deciders on all medical interventions for themselves and for their family. Yeah. They should not accept mm-hmm. blindly the uh, establishment or whatever saying you must vaccinate. Um, I've talked to many parents who are, you know, doing uh, having issues in regards to um their children having cancer and and being told they must do this type of therapy or whatever Mm -hmm. they must they need to do uh what's in their best interest for themselves and their families they control that but also do their own research do their own investigation talk to others who have gone down these paths as mary is 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 often uh, stated um you know one size uh, fits all does not work well with a lot of families and a lot of children we've seen the damage that's being done to our kids and to this generation of children and a future generations of children um one thing i do want to interject though is that you talked about the flu vaccine uh what the thing here is is that uh, last week i was at a conference and a large conference and i was speaking one of the things the points i made was i think uh in 2007, when our government approved flu vaccines for uh, not only the, uh, the MVIC, the, uh, but for children, that was the change point, I believe, when the vaccine court went from a childhood vaccination compensation program to almost a pure adult compensation program to the point now for the last three years, and the statistics are holding, of all compensated cases are for adults, not Hmm. for children, as Congress intended back in 1986. Interesting. Um, Mary, that doctor, let's say, that that refuses to uh, 
to take that that flu vaccination? What what's what are their options? Well, um, it, more typically, the, the lawsuits have been brought by nurses and by other personnel. But in fact, there was a case of a psychiatrist at NYU Medical Center who had no patient contact. She did not come to the hospital at all. She basically used her affiliation solely to do research, uh-huh. and she was terminated. Uh, and I don't know whether she's pursued legal remedies, but I mean, there's an effort here to really take draconian actions against those who stand up. And I think what's particularly problematic about this, you know, there's harsh government policies in many areas, but we all grew up with this idea that, you know, doctors first do no harm, that a doctor's responsibility is to the patient. And that's why we give doctors a privileged place in society. Society, like priests or like other leaders in the community, and we have basis to believe and trust our doctors. And so one of the things that vaccination policy and law is doing, it's eroding that trust in doctors. Doctors no longer are serving our children or us. They're serving government mandates. They're becoming the gatekeepers. Did you get your two-month shots for your baby? If you didn't, I'll report you to XYZ authority. That's eroding the connection between doctors and and patients. And I think that's a really big problem with vaccination law and policy today. And then, of course, the uh, the insurance company, right? I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of that money that's coming in uh, to that to that doctor's pocket is coming in through uh, through through his uh, billing of the insurance company. And the insurance company wants wants. I I, I don't know. I, maybe maybe the, 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 the two, one of the two of you could could uh, weigh in on this. But but if the if the insurance company is saying, hey, we you know we've got to have your child vaccinated with hepatitis a hepatitis shot, then that doctor, regardless of you know, he's he's going to push to get that kid vaccinated. Uh, do you have any comments right. in that regard? I, I think it, you know the doctor is serving. You know the insurance company is serving the pharmaceutical industry. It's serving government mandates, and the fact that the patient should be central and it should be patient-centered care and it should be first do no harm. That's getting lost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now the two of you have connected prior. The, the two of you know that uh, know each other. Is that correct? Uh, can you tell listeners, uh, how, how, Wayne? How, how did you and Mary uh, uh, first? Uh, uh, was it was it when you were writing the vaccine court? How did the two of you connect initially? Well, Mary and I have known each other. I believe um, we were formally introduced in 2011, I believe. But we've known each other prior to that a little bit because we were walking, you know, in circles as a, as parents and and advocates were, you know, had email distributions and stuff like this. But I first met her personally at a convention held in Minneapolis uh, back in 2011, 2012. And, um, but when the unanswered questions paper, which I think is one of the premier papers, people need to actually read that paper, unanswered questions. And she was the, one of the, the, the co-authors, along with Robert Krakow, Lisa Collin, and Luke Conti. That's what got me started. And, and, talking with her over the phone and Robert Krakow over the phone and Luke Conti, they're urging uh, my idea of actually giving a voice to parents who have actually gone through the vaccine court. No one was talking about what their experiences were, and that's what got me going on my book. It was through her urging uh, and motivation to continue to do so. So it's been for the last seven years that I formally met her, um, but I knew of her before that. 
Okay. And and do you have a uh, a book that you're currently a, a new book that you're currently working on by chance? Well, I've got a couple different projects, but I think uh, I'm just trying to figure out. It's very difficult to write a book and publish it um, when you're just you know you're you're volunteering your time and services sure. for that. But uh, one of the big projects that I'm working on, and and it's 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 a huge one, is the cost of vaccine injury from all uh, from an economic uh-huh. on economic standpoint. What does it cost our economy from a the cost of vaccine injury for all different walks of life. And uh, it's a monster project. Uh-huh. And it's something I'm going to work on for the next few years. Uh-huh. Uh, Mary, what are you seeing on an international? I know that you you do have some experience uh, working internationally in, in, in law. What's happening internationally on, on, on this front, on, on vaccine freedom, if you will? Well, we see different currents. Um, We see that in Sweden, in recent years, the parliament unequivocally said no mandates. People get Uh to decide individually what's, you know, what should be their health care. Japan actually formally at the government level de-recommended the HPV vaccine. It's the first country to do that formally. Um, Turkey also has upheld the right to choice. Ukraine has upheld the right to choice. Uh, but other countries, Italy and France, I mentioned, are walking back on that. They've imposed now, you know, pretty similar schedules to the U.S. Germany, not going there. Spain, not going there. Um, so it's a very, it's a very kind of, it's a mosaic, and different countries are, are following different currents. Um, but there's, the, you know, the, the industry is a global one. It's a very powerful one. It's one that has really um, perfected the art of lobbying governments and the medical establishment. So the pressure to move towards mandates is very strong. Uh, and to move towards more and more, for, you know, vaccinations is very strong. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it's not clear how the story ends, to be honest with you. Sure. And where is where is that pressure uh, coming from? Well, I think an enormous amount of the pressure comes from a handful of major global pharmaceutical corporations, right? So there's a handful of corporations that are all international. They sell products all over the world. And they recognize with vaccines, you know, if you can basically get your foot in the door to get a national recommendation for a particular vaccine, ka-ching, right? In the U.S., for one age cohort of kids, four million kids. Country like China, country like India, country like, you know, Japan, you're talking millions of doses at one time. So the pressure's coming from pharmaceutical industry. Um, I would argue that, you know, the World Health Organization, the Center for Disease Control, the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S., the European Medicines Agency, they all have very close ties to the pharmaceutical industry. And in my view, they've been highly influenced by those commercial actors. So, Mary, in, in your opinion, uh, we've got we've got, as, as you mentioned, uh, that you, you would presume uh, that the root of this issue that we're facing today may very well lie in that 1986 uh, law that was passed for national national child uh, childhood vaccine. Um, what is the likelihood or what is the what, what is the likelihood if, if we were to really make a, a, a coup here for um uh, you know, for for vac- vaccine rights, what would be the the likelihood, in your opinion, to get uh, get a modification at least uh, to to that national law? 
Well, or would I that help? Personally, would, I, I really do believe that repeal of that law would end the autism epidemic and we would see real court cases and there would be, when, when, when bad vaccines would come on the market, we'd see class actions, just like we've seen repeatedly with bad drugs. I think one of the best things we could do for public health in this country would be to repeal the 86 Act. But as Wayne has pointed out at this recent conference, yeah. it's going to be very hard to do. There's no political willpower to do that at this point in any political quarter. And so there are sort of interim things that you can do. And I know, you know, Wayne recommended a longer statute of limitations go back to covering just the initial seven vaccines that were covered. Uh, make sure that there are better, better protection for experts who testify and uh, make sure there's better protection for the lawyers who appear on behalf of the claimants in the program. Um, there's a number of things that one could do to improve it. Wayne may be able to tell you others. But to be honest, even in that, Congress has largely washed its hands of this program, although it's a creature of Congress. And so Wayne and I and others have met countless times with, in countless congressional offices to say, you must have a hearing on this. You must look at this. This is serious. And we just haven't gotten very far, in all honesty. And are there cases of actual congressmen uh, having their children vaccinated and, you know, a vaccine injury? And any cases that come to your mind? Yes. I mean, the, the, the congressperson who made the most who, who did the most in this area was Dan Burton, who ran the uh, Government Oversight Reform Committee years back, and he had a grandchild who regressed into autism after vaccination, and he did outstanding work in this area and really did hearings on thimerosal and conflicts of interest and so on, but he's no longer in Congress. And uh, although we really worked hard to see uh, the OGR committee look at this issue again, they didn't. They didn't hold hearings. And uh, it's, it really means for a politician, Ian, that they have to really stand up to the pharmaceutical industry. And then that, that is going to decimate their funding from the pharmaceutical industry for their campaigns. And it may mean that their opponent in the primary or whatever is going to get substantial funding. So it's a, it, it takes courage. It takes conviction. And it takes a, a willingness to take risks. And unfortunately, the way that our campaign system is set up it, it does not further that and what what is what is the issue here is it is it basically you know congress is just kind of turning a blind uh, a deaf ear to 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 these arguments is saying saying hey look it's it's uh you know we're we're sorry some of these kids your kids are have been injured it's uh uh, you know, we're, we're, our hands are tied, uh, the pharmacy, you know, we're, we're, I mean, what's the, uh, why is it that there, there's such a deaf ear? Because, uh, is, is it just that the numbers aren't high enough? And then the, what, what's in your opinion, what is, what is the reason why we can't make more, more strides in this area? Well, I think that the, that there is a kind of a confluence of factors. And so the science is not in, right? There's, there's a growing body of science that's showing really significant problems, but it's not definitive. It takes, you know, it takes decades for science to become yeah. definitive often. So there's not definitive science. 
Congress people feel like they're out of their depth in looking at medical and scientific issues. There are very few physicians in Congress. Those physicians who have been in Congress have often been much more motivated on this issue. And they get a lot of money from the pharmaceutical industry. And the pharmaceutical right. industry lobbies like crazy. There are more registered pharmaceutical industry lobbyists than there are members of Congress. So if they do something, if they step out, there will be immediate reaction from those people who can do them harm and can withhold financial support to them. So I see it largely as a financial problem, honestly, but I'd be interested in Wayne's view on that. Wayne, go ahead. Well, I, I agree that, uh, you know, it is a financial uh, issue, and we're up against the campaign finance. It's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, but where I'm seeing some progress is not on a national or federal level, but also in the states. And in my home state of Minnesota and in a few other states, we've identified key legislators that have vaccine injury in their families. Um, And whether it's their children or immediate families or cousins or whatever. So it's extremely difficult on a federal level. Congress is, uh, when when you look at it, the act itself is almost a a form of tort reform so you have one party that likes to promote that but when you're also looking at it if you're a congressman and you're looking at this program there's other industries that would love to have their immunity if you will uh whether it's construction or whether it's drug uh industry which is constantly getting sued or medical devices they would love to have this immunity if you will so it's very difficult, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican in Congress, to look at this and, and uh, you know, and, and try to do something when you've got a ton of other industry, but also you have a lot of lobbyists that are, you know, are, are against our issue. So I, I make it as we're more success. We can be successful maybe on a state level, but not on a federal level right now. I agree with Wayne on that, that I think it is much easier for organized citizens to have an influence at the state level. And certainly after the the California law, you know, bill became law, and there were similar efforts in many states, in every other state they were pushed back. Oh, California, was there were efforts in, you know, more than – 20 states to roll back exemptions and in California California was the only state that fully you know repealed all non-medical exemptions so I certainly agree with Wayne that one can make more headway at the state level Uh, and certainly one can make contact with members of the state legislatures who do have vaccine injury in their families people are becoming more aware of this uh-huh. Wayne, you you had you had you had mentioned impunity. Why why is it why is it in your opinion, Wayne? Why why was this law passed in '86? Uh, Mary, I think we've lost Wayne. Um, oh no! Yeah, uh, l- let me uh, let me see if I can uh, one moment. Let me see if I can bring him back in. Just call him here, right? Wayne. Are you, uh, Wayne, are you there? Yes. Uh, 
come through the area in blue, a whole bunch of stuff out of the water. So Okay. <laughs> All right, Mary, we've got them back. Disconnected. Okay, I think um Mary, did you have any do you have any comments? I think I think it, um Ian was just reiterating the question, you know, why did the eighty six act come into being and, and what is its impact? And I think yeah. it was directed to you because I've sort of given my thoughts on that. Okay. Looks like we've lost uh, we've lost Wayne again. Um, that's fine. We can uh, we can reconvene at, at a later time. Uh, he might be on a, a cordless. It may have, may have died. Um, Mary, I appreciate you coming on the show and, and, and joining the program. Um, it, kind of a a, a parting uh, thought um, for listeners uh, that 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 are facing uh, either a, a vaccine injured child. Or uh, their heart is is going out to to trying to help um, uh, change uh, some of these laws. Uh, we've, we've kind of touched on uh, they can get involved in grassroots. But what are some final final uh, uh, thoughts uh, from you, Mary? Well, I think it really helps to be connected to other people who are interested in this. It it is a sort of a lonely issue if you go it alone. And there are people in every state who are deeply committed to health freedom, to allowing parents and families to make their own decisions about medical interventions, including vaccines. So pretty much every state has some kind of group that's for, you know, vaccination choice or vaccine freedom. And so I would urge people who are interested to connect with one of those groups. At the national level, there's the National Vaccine Information Center, uh, and they actually also have organized groups at the state level. But I I would urge people to organize. You absolutely cannot take uh, these rights for granted. That recent political history has shown us that very clearly. And so if you care about being able to make individual choices for yourself and for your children, it's really important to get engaged and to um, to be involved in the political process. Mary, hold one moment. I think Wayne's calling. Wayne, are you there? Yeah, I'm, I had, so I'm on a cell phone here, so no. Okay, okay, fantastic. We, we were just uh, we're closing out. We weren't sure if... Uh, You'd be able to rejoin, but um, uh, Mary, Mary just gave some some final final thoughts uh, for us. Wayne, uh, what are some final thoughts that you may have for for, for listeners? Well, um, my um, my message to parents has always been: this is that that they must be the final decision makers for all medical interventions. Period for their family. Um, they can consult with their local doctor uh, if they feel they don't. Uh, they're getting pressured. I would move on to someone else, but do your own research and and make the decisions that are in the best interest of your family. Um, I would not listen to party lines. I would not listen to uh, uh, messages or bullying uh, tactics. Um, and. Just to just to do your own research and, and do your own investigation, whether it's medical interventions, vaccines, or surgery, or um, do your own research in regards to food and other um, you know uh, things that uh, would matter to your family. You are the decision makers for your kids, and then once uh, you make those decisions, uh, stay with it and and just. Uh, uh, just keep researching what's in the best interest of your family. 
You know, Mary, I I see this as um, I see this as being a, a natural right. I, I think that I think that an individual, a human being, should have the right to uh, see what goes into their body. Now, certainly, uh, they go to the doctor. They've got an ailment. Okay, yeah, Hippocratic oath. Please, doctor, help, yeah, help, help uh, treat me. Uh, but, but if there's, you know, if there is no, if there's no reason, uh, okay, precautionary measure. But if there's no reason, I, I, to, to, to vaccinate a child, um, why, why uh, take the risk of, uh, of, of getting that, getting that, that injury? I think the pharmaceutical company should be more, uh, more concentrated, concentrated on, on finding a cure for the, for that particular, uh, for particular disease, uh, disease or, or, or ailment. So I see it as a, as a, as a, as a human right to 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 be able to say and, and like you're saying, Wayne, I'm the parent of this child, and no, I do not want them vaccinated. I, 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 across the board, I, I, from our U.S. Constitution, inalienable right. I, that's how I feel. So if you were to take that standpoint in that position, Mary, what what could what could a listener? Uh, how could they formulate their argument as they are they're forming these groups and these uh, these think tanks to 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 kind of battle this uh, this front? What, what would what would what advice would you have for them on that realm? Well, there are a number of legal areas that inform this right. Uh, certainly natural rights is one of them, but, you know, the right to bodily integrity, uh, the idea that the state does not have a right to uh, do anything inside of my body, which is what a vaccine does, the right to privacy, the right to prior free and informed consent to all medical interventions, the right to equal protection of the laws. I shouldn't, the right to, to be free from discrimination on the basis of a status like vaccination, the right to due process. Um, all of these are areas of law that can be used. Even the right to freedom of, sorry, I should continue, the right to freedom of expression. Oftentimes, you know, there's now efforts to censor people who talk about the problems with vaccines. And the right of freedom of conscience. For many people, this is a religious um, decision. There many of the vaccines that are being mandated across the United States have aborted fetal cells as one example of what they have, but they have material from other species. They have material from monkeys and from all kinds of other insects, other, other kinds of living creatures that violates religious convictions for people. So there's a lot of different bases on which we can object, uh, let alone just a rational objection. For instance, the hepatitis B vaccine that you mentioned that's the, the federal government recommendation is the babies get that on the day of birth in the hospital. That's for a sexually transmitted disease or one that's induced by sharing needles. That's not rational, in my opinion. So there's lots of legitimate bases on which people can argue that the best decision maker for individual health is the individual with the privacy of their health care practitioner. It's not following some one-size-fits-all abstract mandate that makes certain corporations a lot of money. Wonderful, wonderful wonderfully said. Some great advice and great counsel. Wayne, do you have any, any closing thoughts off of, of what uh, uh, Mary has just said there? No, I... I... I agree 100 percent. It could not be said any better than what she did. Yeah. Wonderful. OK, great. Uh, both of you, thank you so much for joining joining the program. I look forward to uh, reconvening and, and, and touching base. Mary, looking forward to uh, to your book in September, uh, the HPV and, and Wayne, uh, your, your current programs. Thank you so much for joining Winwood Radio. Thank you. Thank you.
Bye. Okay. I'm going to cut to a quick break. I'm going to bring in some Metallica. Folks, thank you for bearing with me. I think I had you. I was off air for about 10 minutes. I, I, I appreciate you staying with me. Let's bring in a little bit of Metallica. I'll come back in for some closing thoughts right after this. Okay, so um, I think, well, the crux, ladies and gentlemen, you're in a fight. You are in a fight. We are in a fight whether you realize it or not. There is a fight on many levels. You're being bombarded. If you are a parent, if you're a parent-to-be, you need to look into the vaccine issue because it, it crosses the border of families, folks. It is now into hospital staff, the doctors, mandatory vaccines for doctors. We have just scratched the surface. But if you are a lover of liberty, if you are a lover of freedom, if you believe in inalienable human rights, and you feel like I do, and I'm going to assume that my the the, the guests uh, that I had in the program today also feel this way that a mandatory vaccine. I'm not talking about a cure, a vaccine, a precautionary injection, or something that you do not have yet. 
If you believe that is an, an invasion of your rights, go back and replay the last four minutes of this episode. Mary Holland, J.D. She's a member of the NYU law staff. Author and parent, Wayne Road. We fight together, folks. We fight together. I am in your side. I'm on your corner. We can only do exactly what we are just We've done and continue to do this. And that is fight. June 27th, Wolf Richter. He's a financial analyst and economics commentator based in San Francisco. He's founder and CEO of Wolf Street Corporation. He's a publisher, excuse me, publisher of WolfStreet.com. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you tuning in. Please share this episode with a family member, with a friend, with a colleague, a teacher a professor, a mayor, your congresswoman, or a congressman. Send it to the president of the United States. Pass it on. And until next week, I have been your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. You've tuned in to WinwoodRadio.com. Be Awesome.